This episode is made possible by the Community Radio Fund of Canada's Radio Meters program. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Real World um, on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, the UBC Film Society would like to begin by expressing immense gratitude to the Musqueam people, uh, on whose traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory we operate on as a club, and gather today to record our episode of The Real World. Um, we invite you to reflect on the land on which you reside and who that land belongs to. We encourage you to also consider the representation or lack thereof of Indigenous peoples in the films you watch at or outside of our events. Um, so we had a brief um, a brief uh, break from the real world over Christmas. Yep. Um, but we are back in full force and we have... Uh, Will. My name is Liam. I'm joined by my brother Will. Yep. Hello. And then our new radio junior, uh, Juan. Hello, everybody. Um, uh, so recurring guest Juan. He's recurring been... guest now. He's Juan is now officially a, our junior uh, in the EBC Film Society, and he'll be joining us frequently Hell yes. um, on the real world. So we're excited about that. Uh, so yeah, we mentioned earlier, um, before Christmas, we mentioned a, a year in review for 2021. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be going over our top 10 films of uh, last year. Um, so yeah, I guess... First off, uh, just a few announcements. Yeah, we're going to have a couple of announcements. Uh, January 20th, uh, from 3 to 5 p.m., uh, UBC Film Society and SV Pro are collaborating for an event uh, for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Um, so please check out SV Pro and uh, UBC Film Sock socials and, and, and more information will be coming about that event. We really like for as many UBC Film Sock uh, members to show up to that event. So that'd be great. Yeah, and we, uh, the UBC Film Society is also going to be conducting a giveaway um, or a contest of the sort. Some sort, yeah. Um, and the details have not been ironed out yet, but we uh, encourage everyone to stay tuned to our radio show and our social media. It will be... Uh, the key fun. will be, the giveaway will be conducted over our radio show, so... Staying tuned to the radio show will be the most important. Uh, so you're going to have to listen to an entire episode if you want to win. Hell yes. Um, <laughs> hey, we're going to have viewers yeah, finally, baby. Yeah. Listen, well, listeners, unless you want to stare at the wall while you watch. <laughs> but yeah, I guess with all that being said, uh, let's get into our top 10s. So who wants to start? Should I begin? Yeah, sure. You can start. Okay, I'm going to start with a controversial one right away because this is a movie that I absolutely love. I had a blast watching this film. I think it is incredibly funny very entertaining i really love it all the performances are great the film is adam mckay's don't look up um i don't know what to say man it's it was just an incredibly entertaining film once again i laughed out loud so much throughout the movie every single actor is just chewing scenery seeing meryl streep leonardo dicaprio doing comedy and jonah hill is just being jonah hill and he's fucking amazing um yeah i don't know what to say i i know a lot of people don't love it, particularly because of how not subtle it is. Um, I love it, you know, regardless of the fact that it's not subtle at all, and it is very evident what Adam McKay is talking about, um, I still think it's very poignant and surprisingly relevant. That said, I don't know, you know, how it's going to age throughout the years. Maybe 20 years from now, I'm like, ah, this is, you know, not as relevant anymore. But as of now, I fucking love Don't Look Up. And what an ending. I love the ending. You can't argue with the fact that there are... there are like genuinely funny moments. It's the it's the fact that uh, afterwards or even while you're laughing, you feel bad about it. That's that's what uh, didn't. It's feel the good. it's the idea that Adam McKay thinks he's looking at all of us and th- acting as if he's figured it all out and we're yeah. all idiots. Like I feel like with Doctor Strange Love, it's like he's aware that he's an idiot too, yeah. uh, Kubrick. And I don't think Adam McKay has even considered once that he's an idiot. 
And just well, 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 that that's enough for don't look up. But just a little note: Adam McKay's net worth is sixty million dollars. Yeah. So keep that in your in your mind when you watch the other guys. Keep that in mind. I guess you know you listeners. You know who you are. If you like Vice, if you like The Big Short, you you're shouldn't probably like, you shouldn't like those movies. No, no. But if you do, because I do, if you do, <laughs> you're gonna like Don't Look Up. So yeah. give it a shot. If you don't, if you're not an Adam McKay fan, then you know this film is not gonna transform you. Okay. Um. So. Moving on, I guess we'll go with my number 10. I'm just going to say the name because Will's got it further up on his list. But it yeah. was uh, Gia Coppola's Mainstream. Really great Andrew Garfield performance. We talked about it, I think, before on the show, like briefly. But it's pretty awesome. So yeah. check it out. We'll talk about that later. Uh, number 10 for me is The Card Counter. I think Liam has that further up on his list. So we won't give it much uh, talk. Just a Paul Schrader. Typical Paul Schrader movie, really. Just a complete copy of his other movies but that's all oh, that's want. okay that's all we want um, um so we're gonna save the card counter yeah we'll for, save okay. that for yeah so should i go with my number nine yeah, then let's go with number go nine for yeah. it. okay my number nine is coda i really loved coda this is one of the last films i saw in 2021 i thought it was an amazing movie uh so heartwarming it is such a feel-good film that yeah sounds good okay so my number nine is uh the tragedy of macbeth uh so briefly uh throne of blood I'll, is like i'll say this tragedy about this is nine for me as well okay yeah so throne of blood is like one of my all-time favorite movies um and so and i also i love the coen brothers and i also just love macbeth the story of macbeth in general so this was like gearing up to be like my favorite movie of all time um and so i had very high expectations going in and they were mostly met um i mean it's number nine on my list but i really like i loved <laughs> i love the film a lot and i think it's exciting to see uh like a very faithful adaptation of Macbeth, just kind of like done by like the best artists working right now. You know, Joel Cohen and and uh, Denzel Washington and Francis McDermott. All they were all great. Denzel Washington was was amazing, and then the stand up part of this film was definitely the um, the witches. I don't want to spoil it. You haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen it. I don't want to spoil it for Juan, but the witches in the in the film are are incredible, and the, just it's obviously very beautifully shot, black and white, yeah, um, high contrast opening sequences. It uh with the witches was was really really great. Uh, what was the film that I told you? Edward the Second was that the yeah it it's like uh, the set design is very like industrial and like, yeah. minimal like and kind, kind of, like of Dr Caligari art, a little artificial bit. Yeah. too like it's it's super cool um and like it, it some unique blocking and uh, camera angles and stuff so it was it was really great yeah, yeah. I uh, can't wait to watch it you know I yeah. I, I love the the Coens I love Macbeth and I love Throne of Blood so yeah I mean I I hope more people see it but um I'm glad it exists. So let's go on to your number eight then. Okay, my number eight, uh, I'm just going to say the name and then we're going to talk about it later because I'm sure it's higher up in both of your lists. But mm-hmm. my number eight is Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. I love this movie, <laughs> even though I didn't think I was going to love it. But yeah. we'll talk about it later. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, Will and I loved it too, so we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, my number eight, let's see. Uh, so I have the card counter. Did is, yeah. Is, do we talk about that now? Yeah, we can talk about that now. Okay. Have you seen the card counter? I have seen okay. the card counter. So what did you think of the card counter? I thought it was an alright film. I I mean, okay, I'm I'm a big Paul Schrader fan. Okay, yeah. I, I I love the stuff he did with Scorsese, and I fucking adore First Reformed. I think First Reformed is one of the best A twenty four movies I've ever seen. I yeah. loved it. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited for Card Counter. I actually watched it at Toronto. Uh, during the Toronto International Film Festival, not not as part of the festival, but I just, yeah, just went up to the theater and saw it, yeah. and you know I thought it was alright. I, I I was I was a bit disappointed, I guess, but that's just because you know First Reform put the bar way too high for me, and 
I thought it was good. You know, Oscar Isaac is always great in everything, but I, I wasn't like in love with it or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. I I think that's fair. Like, first, it was not as good as first first reformed. Um, but you know, that's kind of asking a lot of uh, a film. So I think it was it was really great. Um, shout out to Michael Dang. He's the biggest Oscar Isaac fan in the world. So yeah. <laughs> um, and there was a couple of scenes that you might have liked in that movie. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought um, I thought Oscar Isaac was amazing in the film, and I thought uh. Uh, like Tiffany Haddish, for example, was like way better than she should have been, and I, you know, that credit to Oscar or to uh, to Paul Schrader, but also to her, she was very good. And Ty Sheridan was also really great. Willem Dafoe was really creepy, like creepy as hell with the three sixty camera kind of thing. Yeah, I thought that was really upsetting. And then obviously the way the film ends is like very Paul Schrader. Um, yeah, I I think Paul Schrader is one of the best American screenwriters. So I think uh, it's great. It's a great film. I'm looking forward. I think he announced like he's got a new film coming out or not coming out, but he's in the works on a new film. He's just you know, he's getting old, but he's making movies still, so that's cool. Um, yeah. What's your number eight, Will? My number eight is Petite Maman. Do you I've have got that, that higher? I've got that higher. Yeah, so we'll talk about that later. We talked about that during our VIF roundup. Yes. Yeah. So. Okay. So I should move on to my number seven. Yes, we have so seen. My number seven is Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, a medieval story about the last duel that ever took place in France. Uh, that said, like, you know, two thirds of the film is the build up to The Last Duel. Like, you only see The Last Duel in the last third so you know don't let the title fool you it's not like you know everything is action like in gladiator nah it's two-thirds is just conversations and drama and then the last third is the big epic finale you know the big epic fight no it was just an amazing film i think ben affleck killed it as a role that i would have never expected ben affleck to play i think matt damon was great adam driver was great and holy shit also judy comer uh, yes, I, I'm. I, that's her name, right? Yes, Jody Jody Comer. Sorry. Yeah. She was fucking amazing. Her story, like her version of the story, which is the third one out of the three, which leads up to the big fight. It's her story is amazing. And to then, the last duel. Yeah, and then the last duel. The last duel. I think it's like one of the best pieces of action I've seen all year, really? and one of the best pieces of action I think Ridley Scott has ever filmed. It's, really? it's insane. Wow. Well, well we have praise. to. I mean, I want to. I want to check it out, especially because Matt Damon and. And uh, Ben Affleck wrote the film. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I feel like I'm rooting for them. But you think you think Ridley Scott's no tour? I would say so. I, I think so. <laughs> like, I will say, I was in such a high after watching The Last Duel. And I was yeah. like, hell yes. I can't wait for it for House of Gucci. Then I was very disappointed by that film. But okay, that's that's a conversation <laughs> for another day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, yes, I would say Ridley Scott is an no tour. Yeah. I think that was, that, that's pretty tricky. It's like right on the edge. I feel like he is, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my number seven is come on, come on. This is when I talk about that. Yep. Okay. So um, I Will and I actually haven't seen any Mike Mills films before. Uh, come on, come on. Um, obviously, Twentieth Century Woman I, I, is on the watch list. I want to see it. But um, so it was like it was honestly the advertisements and the A twenty four branding kind of made me a bit skeptical, um, just because it seemed like one of those art films that was just going to be mostly, you know. That, like lack substance and kind of just be style and like black and white four, was it four by three it wasn't four by three no, it wasn't four by three it was it like well it's like it may as well have been four by three sometimes and that's fine it was th- but anyways it actually had some substance walking phoenix and um woody norman that's his name yeah uh had you know really great chemistry it was very touching the kind of like pseudo documentary thing was interesting because obviously walking plays a uh, a documentarian um and yeah i think formally it was interesting but also and just by the end of the film, I was like very emotionally engaged, uh, more than I thought I would because I was because actually what happened was we went to the, see this film and they played the trailer for um, 
licorice pizza and i was just thinking for the first half an hour like i'd rather be watching licorice pizza right now and then somehow the film like kind of just took over and i i wasn't working with that anymore so that's credit to that film um but yeah i liked it a lot and uh i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more uh, mike mills uh yeah what's your number seven will so my number seven is the beta test uh jim cummings we talked about this from the vif roundup so we don't need to go too into detail about it but just to you know support jim cummings yeah jim cummings he answered my dm i dm'd him God damn. Yeah. <laughs> I still haven't seen it, so I'm sorry, Mr. Cummings. Have you seen any of his stuff yet? I still haven't. Damn. <laughs> yeah, that's, okay, well, that's a message to all you viewers and, and Juan. Check out Jim Cummings. Cummings. Yes, yes. Thunder Road, it's a short film. It's 10 minutes long. It'll uh, open your eyes to the to the landscape of independent cinema of the 2020s. Hell yeah. I think. So, um, really exciting. He's, he's, gonna, he's making stuff all the time, and can't wait to see what he does next. All right. I, I had that as my number 11 film, by the way. Um, and I wanted it to be my top 10. It was like top five for so long. And then all the see all the awards season came and it, it moved down, but I liked it a lot. Fair enough. So what's your number six? So my number six is actually a movie that I saw last night and it has stuck with me so much. I think it is the most exhausting watch I've, I, I saw the whole year and it's a movie called mass. And I think it's an absolute masterpiece. I think it's fucking amazing. Jason Isaac. I've not even heard of this movie. Martha Plimpton, fucking incredible. And Dowd killed it. And Reed Bernie, although his performance is a lot more subtle than the other three characters, mm-hmm. all four of them are are insane. I, I, I love Mass. And if that sounds like a film for you, like, you know, one location, one conversation, four characters, very heavy, very exhausting. If that sounds like a film for you, watch it because it's fucking amazing. Well, that goes to the top of our list, I guess. Yeah, I, I I had heard of You'd it, heard of so it? I knew that okay. it was good. I have not heard of it, and I think it is catching a little bit of award buzz. So maybe, maybe it will catch some nominations. Probably Hopefully. not as much as it deserves, according to Juan. But <laughs> I mean, it probably yeah. That's just how the Oscars go. So say la vie. Yeah. <clears throat> I think we should. Uh, go we to should music. just finish six, and then we'll go to music. Should we go to six? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So really quickly, my number six is Petit Maman. Uh, I think Celine Siama's just dropping the mic with this film. Seventy-two minutes. Um, she only she can do that. It's awesome. Made me cry. Would recommend. Yep. Uh, my number six is uh, Matrix. Oh, Ooh, are we are we are we gonna get into that? We'll get into that after. We'll get Matrix Resurrections. That's what yeah. We'll get into that after the break. Um, that's actually coming up because it's my number five. But uh, so we're gonna go to play some music on the radio. That's what we do. Um, Hell yes. Yeah. Play some music. Okay. We'll be back in a minute. of Life Art and Gift Shop is Vancouver's choicest destination for one-of-a-kind artist-made prints, posters, screen prints, riso prints, paintings, acrylic paintings, watercolour paintings, ceramic mugs, ceramic plates, ceramic bowls, ceramic pots, lapel pins, hats, toques, crochet bathing suits, jewellery, trinkets, knickknacks, hand-painted signs, curated thrift, and a bunch more stuff that won't fit in this designated block of airtime. Slice of Life Art and Gift Shop, located at 1636 Venables, just off commercial. Open 11 to 6, six days a week.
The haunting debut album Black Moon by Civic TV provides a cinematic backdrop, a modern-day symphony of the dark and light that is our collective reality. Take a listen to Black Moon, now available via Flemish Eye Records and on all streaming platforms. Welcome back, everyone, to The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, my name is Liam. I'm joined by Will and Juan, and we are hosting The Real World. Um, so currently we're doing our we're going over our top 10 films of the of the past year 2021 and we're on to our top fives um, so Juan is going to start us off with his fifth best film okay my fifth best film of the year and goddamn I'm ready to defend this film as much as I can but my number five is Zack Snyder's Justice League fuck yes okay I I love everything you know from artsy films to big blockbusters to superhero films to you know auteur cinema I, I fucking love it all and Zack Snyder's Justice League, it was just amazing. It was just, a, I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece and just one of the best superhero films. It's an improvement in every single way. And I think it closes up Zack Snyder's trilogy of DC, like Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I think this one's the best one. I think this one is, it, it's amazing. I, I really love it. I actually like Batman v Superman. Uh, I thought that... Uh... Lex Luthor was, like, a better villain than I, Steppenwolf, I guess, was the bad guy in Justice League. And I thought it was more uh, philosophical, and it was it was more uh, what I think Zack Snyder was interested in in the whole series, which is, like, what are the real-life implications of having superheroes and uh, what are the, like, political and, and, and potential dangers of having superheroes in real life. Um, and I think the Batman vs. Superman kind of tackled that, and then Justice League kind of compounded on that and didn't really add much more to the conversation. Um, but it was, like... A good time. It was four hours and it was, it didn't, it, it was like very it didn't fun feel to like watch. Four hours. Yeah, it was very fun to watch. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it felt like, I think afterwards, after the buzz wore off, it was like, well, it's just, for me at least, it was like, it was, it's, it was a fun movie, but it doesn't really mean anything to me past that. But obviously, I'm not a big superhero movie guy. Um, you know, I think it looked pretty good sometimes. And I think, uh, I mean, there were points where obviously, like, the budget had been stretched thin in post production and they were, yeah, there was some pretty bad CGI. Um, that's okay, though. Uh, it was, I'm, I mean, the real question is like, is it, you know, do we really, do, I, I don't know if we want like fans dictating that heavily, like what gets made. Cause are, we, are we getting in this stuff? Well, so that's so that's going to lead into our matrix discussion, but I don't think we do want that. Cause then, yeah, I, I'm not a person, not a big fan of fan service at all. I think it tends to make hollow, hollow stories that don't mean much that will not age well, um, that don't stand on their own. And so I don't think justice league is like fan service in that way but we're starting to have this trend of like these these move these mass movements of fans like mobilizing um to like kind of advocate for themselves and get what they want um out of their big franchise movies and and, and all you have to do is ask david lynch uh what should you give fans what they want he says no yeah so i listen to david lynch don't yeah, give but... <laughs> don't give fans what they want all the time i i think it's kind of i just think it's kind of scary like i mean you go on reddit and you see people like have written a scene like wouldn't it be awesome if guardians of the galaxy 3 started with this and it's just awful and they kind of like become it becomes this like po this positive feedback loop where they're like just kind of riling each other up on reddit or on twitter or something and it's just off i just I, i'm not a fan of it okay so. i have to answer to this because i'm in the complete yeah. opposite side of the spectrum uh so you know personally i don't think there's anything wrong with fan with you know fan service with serving your fans you know if you're making a film in a big franchise there's nothing wrong with giving fans what they want to see you know if they want to see a big epic fight scene there's nothing wrong with giving the big epic fight scene now if you have to bend the narrative and if you have to do something completely nonsensical to give fans what they want they're gonna have a problem 
but if it fits with the story, it feels natural and it feels organic, I don't see why you shouldn't give fans what they want to see. And in regards to this whole debacle about, you know, fans dictating what the fuck goes on in Hollywood, funnily enough, I wrote a whole essay about this last term yeah. <laughs> for our film studies class. Uh, but basically, because yes, like the whole point of my essay is that I was examining that, you know, when Zack Snyder's Justice League came out, uh, a lot of news outlets started saying like, oh, this is a horrible precedent for Hollywood. Like this shouldn't be made. And yeah. the whole point of my essay was, is it really a new precedent? Like, is this really a new thing? And I started looking at examples at like Richard Donner's Superman 2, another film that was ripped from Richard Donner's hand. And then after years and years of fan activism, Richard Donner got to make his film. And, you know, even going all the way back to like in literature, to like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's, you know, Sherlock Holmes book, you know, yeah. the final problem ended with Sherlock dying. And the backlash was so fucking insane that he had to write another book being like, no, 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 no. He actually didn't die. <laughs> and those other books were pretty fucking great. So, you know, fans will always be fans. That's how fans behave. So I, I don't think it's a new thing. I will say that it is loudest that it is louder than it has ever been yeah, yeah. because of the movies that we're talking about like yeah. superhero films are huge and fans are now as as loud as the films they love so yeah. i do think it's louder but it, it's always bigger. i guess i guess i just think like i do i, I think fans should be challenged a little bit and, oh yeah and um so like when you have i, I haven't seen spider-man the new spider-man movie um <laughs> i'm assuming there's lots of fan service with oh, this whole, fuck mu- yes. and with it's this whole multiverse thing um and like personally, I don't think that's I, I I I haven't seen it, so I can't say. But like for example, we're gonna get into the Matrix thing right now because that's my number five well, film. Let me say this: the 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 notable the anecdote about the Sherlock Holmes. Like that's the, depressing. That, to me. Yeah, that sounds like the the author of the 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 creator of the story was basically forced through uh, fan outrage to revive a character when presumably that author felt like that character had run its arc and should die. That's that sound that sounds like fans are like asking for they're, they're they're overstepping their bounds i think and and, and giving into that is bad and that's like the whole thesis of, of twin peaks so it's a bit of watch, an it's a bit of watch entitlement like <laughs> I, the fans do feel like entitled to like get what they want sometimes um and i don't know if the, this is definitely a thing that's like like you said it's it's louder i i believe that it yeah. definitely has been a thing um you know as old as stories go because people want what they want, but I do. I just generally, I think it's good to challenge fans and to like. So obviously, now we'll talk about the Matrix. Yeah. Like the Matrix takes the whole fan service thing. Resurrections. We're Matrix talking about resurrections. Yeah. Which, which I think I wrote in my letterbox review uh, that I think it's maybe the best um, blockbuster sequel I've ever seen. Oof. Um, and uh, I think it's I think it's an amazing film. Um, it and mostly because of the way it interacts with. Um, with fan service and this culture of like fans asking for what they want and getting it. And it like, it kind of deals with, with these ideas, but it also gives us what it kind of gives us what we want in a roundabout way, or at least for me, what I wanted um, from, from matrix film. And so, uh, yeah, I think that, I think that film is, is incredible. I think it said, hopefully it's, it's not going to set a new precedent, but um, it would be awesome if kind of people gave it a bit more of a chance. Uh, Obviously Juan's going to explain why he doesn't like it, but um, yeah, I think, you know, this, the way it starts, it kind of was like very poke, poking fun at the whole sequel thing, very like um, cheeky, and uh, it's in poking fun of the sequel idea and like the studio kind of forcing them to make the film again and to like, well, do we just redo the whole thing because that's what people want? And the answer is no, you don't. You make something new, and um, and did they? And I think they did. Okay. <laughs> I, I think and I think they honored the essence of the of the originals, which was it's a love story between 
obviously Neo and Trinity, mm-hmm. and it um, I think it was incredible. Uh, it was by the end I was totally locked in, and I and I was just so glad that they kind of that um they were willing to go in that direction, and like the studios even allowed that to happen because it was kind of just bashing this like structure of this like mass corporate structure of uh of like fan service and nostalgia um and obviously that's kind of the thing i like but so yeah i guess now you can explain because i personally have no idea how you couldn't like this movie but now i'm gonna i'm gonna find out now will do, do you want to no, say i don't have much more to add uh liam liam hit the nail on the head i mean i was i thought the entire matrix uh series was is it's it's, it's about a love story between uh uh neo and trinity and um that's that's what we get in matrix resurrections and uh i agree with liam all about the fan service stuff so Okay. Okay. Got the floor. So let's now, see. here I go with my little mini rant about The Matrix Resurrection. So just to be clear, that's number five in your list. Number, and five. number yeah. six for me. Okay, number five and number six. Could be higher. It could be higher later on. You never know. Also, I think The Last Jedi might be better, but... We'll... <laughs> okay, no, let's not open that kind of words. But just to be clear, for me, The Matrix Resurrections is... Like, it, it is honestly right now competing for the worst film of the year with like M. Night Shyamalan's old. I, uh-huh. and I, I, I fucking hate it. And just to be clear, I just want to preface this because I want to make it very clear where I'm coming from. I'm a huge Matrix fan. I fucking adore the original movie. Even the sequels, two and three, I enjoy parts of them. I agree. I've seen the Animatrix. I fucking love the Animatrix. And, you know, if you were to ask me right now, what is like... One of some of the most important films for me, for Juan, for being the person who I am, I would honestly say The Matrix. Like that film not only introduced me into filmmaking, it not only ignited a light in me to make me want to make films, uh, but it also got me into philosophy, which mm-hmm. I, I honestly can't thank the Wachowskis enough for what they did. The Matrix got me into philosophy, got me into reading Plato. The first Matrix film is I, I dressed up as Neo for Halloween when I was in 11th grade. I fucking love The Matrix. I was beyond excited for the fourth one because, you know, in my mind, I, I've been telling myself for the longest time, like, yeah, you know, two and three weren't as great as the first one, uh, but, you know, that's because they rushed it, you know, that's because they weren't given enough time to come up with a good story. So I was like, okay, enough time has passed since the third one and the fourth one that I was like, yeah, you know, maybe they came up with something really inspired, really passionate, you know, something really fucking cool. Then I saw they brought in the screenwriter, no, the writer from Cloud Atlas, which I fucking adore Cloud Atlas. I think that movie's a masterpiece. I love the book. So when they brought the author in to write the screenplay along with Lana Wachowski, I was like, holy shit, this is going to be amazing. I bought the tickets the, the day they went on sale. I made all my friends come with me. And I've told you guys this before, but... This is the only film I've ever seen where I've had to apologize to my friends for dragging <laughs> them into a movie. So, the reasons why I hate Matrix Resurrection. First of all, I don't think the film ever justified its existence. I don't think the film ever like justified why Neo is suddenly alive after he gave himself up at the end of the third film, and I don't think I don't think the film did a good enough job to explain to give a reasonable explanation of why everything is back as it used to be, why the Matrix is back, why Neo is alive. And I don't think the film never justified his existence as a movie. Like, why, why make another Matrix film? Like, the third Matrix film ended perfectly. You know, it, it wasn't the best ending, but sure, it ended. It was a definitive ending, and I, I don't think this was, you know, satisfying enough. And moving on, another aspect that I love about the Matrix film is, of course, the action. The action in the Matrix films has always been top-notch. Bullet time is fucking amazing. 
All of those sequences are fucking incredible. And, you know, before The Matrix 4 came out and when I started seeing the mixed reviews, I kept telling myself, like, yeah, you know, maybe the story's not as strong, but at least the action is going to be amazing. But holy shit, the action was so fucking disappointment. They replaced, like, you know, uh, meticulous camera movements with just a fucking horrible shaky cam. There is nothing even to the same level as the bullet time sequence in the first film or the heist, you know, the, the highway chase sequence in the second film. Mm-hmm. Nothing even to that level. And also, at least for me, I never felt any stakes in any of the fight scenes in any film, in, in this film. Like, in the first three films, yeah, some of the fight scenes were a bit cartoonish, but at least I felt stakes, you know, I felt that something could go wrong. Here, I was just looking at shit going on, like shit happening. I, I, I don't know, I, it didn't connect with me. Also, Lawrence Fishburne's presence was missed, and Hugo Weaving's presence was very much missed. I, I mean, I love Jonathan Groff. He's amazing. I, I literally spoke about him uh, when I talked about Hamilton and how much I loved him in Hamilton. But yeah, it's, it's just he's just not Hugo Weaving. And apart from everything that I've mentioned, for me, the third act made no fucking sense. And okay, I will say, I will say, you know, credit where credit is due. I actually really liked the first 40 minutes. The first 40 minutes, I was digging it really. I, I was digging it a lot, you know. There's, I, a, there's a scene uh, with Jonathan Groff uh, and, Ke- and Keanu Reeves in, like, their office. They're talking about the game and the sequel. Yes. I can't remember what the, what, like, it was a philosophical debate. And I can't remember what it was, but I remember thinking when that same scene played. Like, this is, I love this so much. I, do, you, do you remember what it was? Because I cannot remember for the life of me what it was. I, I honestly can't remember, but yes, I agree. Like, the first 40 minutes are, yeah. are really strong. I, I really love the first 40 minutes. Yeah. For me, like, it, it all go like, yeah, the first 40 minutes, I was like, holy shit, this is insane. This is, like, super meta, super cool. You know, Lana Wachowski's telling us, like, hey, I was forced to make this film, but I'm doing the best I can. Uh, but then 40 minutes into the film, when they just go back into the Matrix, I just felt that they started doing, like trying to make the first film all over again, but just worse. So, like, you have the dojo fight scene against Morpheus, but worse. You have the, you know, Neo waking up in the in, in the real world, but worse. Like, you have all of these scenes just so I taken feel like, out. I felt disgusting. I, I was feel like, oh. like part of the point of the, of those scenes were, like, it's it's like this commentary on this, like, digital recreation of, of images to trigger nostalgia, and it's, like, criticizing that idea. That's, what I, that's the way I felt about it. It's like, we're, I'm going to do the same thing. And it's going to be like, and for me, I, it was like aware of the fact that it was doing the same thing. And it was like telling you like, this is the same thing and you shouldn't like this. Like that's, that's what I think it was doing. And I didn't, I didn't yeah. like it. <laughs> so I guess for, for me, like I appreciated that, but I guess if you would just want something new entirely, but I think like that's the, that, so for me, that's why it justifies its own existence because that's what it's always doing. It's always saying like, if you want more of this story, then it has to, it can't be what you want. That's the whole point of the film. I agree. Yeah. I, it shouldn't have been the same thing, but yeah. like slightly weird, like with Yaya Abdul Mateen this time. Yeah, he was great though. But he, I love Yaya. I, I fucking love you, Yaya. But come on, man. Yeah. He's <laughs> and, not Lawrence Fishburne. That's for sure. And also the Fishburne. last thing, the post credit scene. I honestly think it's the worst oh, post credit really scene I've ever seen in my whole life. We, I, we walked out of the theater, didn't realize there was a post credit scene, and then we were told there's a post credit scene, and we looked it up, and I was like, ah, oh, damn. The Catrix? <laughs> the, yeah, the fucking Catrix? No, come I on. Think that's, I think that's supposed to slap me in the face and be like, this doesn't matter. Stop waiting for the post credits. Yeah. I, that's, <laughs> so I like that too, honestly. Yeah. It was so bad that it was yeah, like, yeah, I read some reviews of people who said, like, if the Matrix 4 is meant to be like this big fuck you to Warner Bros. and to fans and to everyone, then that's okay. 
But if it's not, then it's just a oh, god-awful sequel. That's and I, I I was very disappointed. I'm really sorry. I did like seeing uh, John Wick's director, Shad Stileski, mm-hmm. as Trinity's wife inside the Matrix. Uh, when they, Trinity's when, husband. When, when his name is Chad... That- I, that was so before yeah. we were that with a group of two people. We all just burst out laughing. That was the, one of the funniest moments of the year. No, that was, was so great. Funny. That was great. I, yeah. I like that. But okay. Yes. I think we have to move on now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we should go to a music break one more time. One more break. We, uh, okay. Off. We're gonna. We spent entire twenty minutes on Matrix. Okay. You know what? That's that's where the conversation went. So. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna go to music like we always do on the radio. We'll be back in a couple minutes. How about hosting your own show? At CITR, you can make your radio dreams come true by joining a collective. From news, art, sports, to gender empowerment, accessibility, music, and the BIPOC collective, there's definitely something for everyone. Explore new worlds both virtually and at our station, and be prepared to have a blast with some new pals. For more information or to join, please visit citr.ca slash getinvolved. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it, and we'll give you half of your money back as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. We'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us. Minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Hello, everyone. We're back once again on CRTR 101.9 FM, uh, The Real World. Uh, We are your hosts, uh, Liam, Will, and Juan. And uh, so we're going over our top 10 films of 2021, and we're currently on number four. Number five. You number got, five. Quick quick for me, uh, my number five was uh, Pig, and I think that's uh, further up for that Liam, comes so later. We'll, we'll talk about that more. That comes uh, later. So let's go to four from Juan. Uh, so my number four is a movie that I really fucking love. I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did, but I do. And it's Spencer uh, by Paolo Lorraine. Uh, with Kristen Stewart in what I consider to be one of the best performances of the year. Um, yeah, I thought Spencer was haunting. It, it felt like this weird, haunting fairy tale. Uh, 
it was amazing. I, I fucking loved it. There, there's a montage sequence, like, sort of halfway through the film that I thought was beautiful. The cinematography made by the same... Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name, but made by the same person who did the cinematography for Portrait of, of a Lady on Fire. Mm, amazing. I, yeah. And then the music, the score. God damn. John Greenwood? All, yeah, Johnny Greenwood score. Yeah. Also insane. Haunting. Like, that is the right word to describe this film. Haunting. And I know a lot of people have criticized Spencer... Uh, for not being historically accurate enough and for not being the version of Diana that we all know and love from shows like The Crown. Uh, that said, this film from the very beginning makes it really clear that this is not going to be that version of Diana. Like, the film begins with a title sequence, title card saying, um, you know, a fable based on a real life story. So, yeah. you know, you should go in with that expectations. Like, yeah. this is a different version of Diana and I loved it. Yeah, I mean, we Watch honestly, list. we haven't seen it. I, I've Pablo Lorraine. I've seen his most recent film before Spencer, which was Emma, and I really did not like it. In fact, I was starting my journey of watching a movie every day for uh, a year straight, and that was like three months in, and I was like, I was considering taking a, a day off after that. Oh so, god, damn. <laughs> so, and I, I did not. My streak is still on. I'm on, I'm almost at two years. So amazing. Um, yeah. Anyways, what's your number? Did you do number five? You did. Yeah. You said we're on, we're on yeah four, so we're on four. four. Yeah. It's number four, Juan. He just did. I, I just oh, he just did Spencer. Spencer. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, mine is T10. That's comes that comes later for that Will. Comes later. Yeah, I, just, uh, I already made yeah. that joke, so you can't. Uh, <laughs> my number four is Licorice Pizza, so that'll come later too. Because okay, that comes later. Higher, so okay. so, so it's my Juan number three. three. <laughs> my number three is Guillermo del Toro's latest Nightmare Alley. God damn, I'm in love with this film. I fucking love it. Do you guys want to say anything about uh, Nightmare Alley before? Or yeah, I? so really I was great. I was really excited to yeah. see it because I saw the trailer and I, I actually like I'm one of the few Shape of Water defenders. I love it. I fucking love the like, Shape of Water. It's not that it's like you know it's it's like uh, it's it's kind of a world you want to live in. You know the aesthetic is very pleasant. It's a touching story. You know uh, what's his? I'm forgetting the I'm forgetting his name. What's his name? Doug Jones? Or no, no, no. no. It's, it's, he's, in a, he's in Knives Out. Why am I saying Knives Out? Ah, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Yeah, Michael Shannon was great in that, in, in that movie. And I, I think it was fun. So I don't know why everyone hates it. I guess because it got such like the best picture buzz and all that. But no, It won best picture. What do you mean everyone hates it? <laughs> no, no, people now, it's like, it's, like a, it's like one of those like, oh, well, he had to recover from Shape of Water. It's like, I don't think that. No, Anyways, I, I like the film. We, Will and I watched the original the day before. And then we watched uh, Nightmare Alley del toro's version and uh it's longer and bradley cooper gets like his character gets a lot more uh backstory and information and i think it, i think it mostly works and uh i was pleasantly su- well not surprised because i like i know i was gonna like it and i liked it a lot yeah yeah so as for myself i i love del toro uh del toro's been one of the directors that you know every single film he makes i i try to watch it i fucking love him uh my extended essay which is like the final project that i had to write uh, to graduate from high school, I actually wrote it on Guillermo del Toro, on The Shape of Water, and Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've yes, I've, I've I've been studying this man's career for a long time now, and I was beyond excited for Nightmare Alley, and it it delivered, it fucking delivered. I think it may be my second favorite Guillermo del Toro film after wow. Pan's Labyrinth. Wow! So it goes like Pan's Labyrinth, Nightmare Alley, The Shape of Water, and then The Devil's Backbone, and then you know the other ones. Uh, <laughs> but those are my top four. Hellboy two. Uh, which one? Hellboy two. I I love Hellboy okay. two. I think that was great. We haven't seen Hellboy two yet. We've seen Hellboy. Um. Yeah. I I I I like everything Guillermo del Toro yeah. makes. Even like Crimson Peak, which is one that a lot of people hate. I I fucking love Crimson yeah. Peak. I don't know what they're talking about. Uh. But yeah. In regards to Nightmare Alley, I think it's amazing. I haven't seen the original film. I wanted to go in blind. I wanted this to be my you know my first introduction to this world and to this story and to these characters. I will say Guillermo del Toro films usually have like this amazing balance in between 
beautiful, fantastical things, but also horrible, gory, fucked up, dark shit. I will say that this film leans a bit more into the, you know, horrible, fucked up and dark shit. Not so much beautiful stuff. Not that there are not beautiful stuff, because there are some beautiful cinematography, beautiful images, beautiful moments. moments yeah. uh, but most of it is pretty fucking dark. And, yeah. you know, th this film just felt to me as, you know, a, a film noir from the golden age of Hollywood, just, yeah. you know, brought to the big screen by Guillermo del Toro. Like, Kate Blanchett's character as a femme fatale, she, she killed it. She's amazing. Um, I loved it. I don't know what to say. I think it's an amazing film. Yeah, the original yeah. film was very dark. Yeah, I would. I'll say there's uh, one decision that um, I I don't actually know if I like or don't like. Uh, in the original, you never see the geek, but really? in uh, in the, this one, obviously, you see the geek like very early on. And if if anything, I think it makes even uh, an obvious ending even more obvious, which I don't actually think is a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you I think? think it worked. That? I think it worked better on this one because we're we're obviously learning more about this character as an individual rather than I mean, in like old noir films. You didn't really get... It was very, like, deep personal almost. Like, mm -hmm. you were always a step back. Partially just because of the way the camera was working back then, but also just the way stories were written. You didn't get into the character's mind as much as you do now. And so, I think it worked because you see the geek and you're like, well, that's what that's where he's going to be at the end of this film. And uh, he was there. And the geek is, like, really creepy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's honestly more like... Uh, in the original film, it's more, like, mystical and kind of like a fairy... Like a... Not a fairy tale, but like a... A like, fable, like a fable kind of thing. Yeah. The geek, because it's almost like it could be like maybe it's not human. Whereas in in this film, it's very yeah. Weird. There's no question. An alcoholic about what it is. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, great film. And the final shot, goddamn, the mm -hmm. final shot. Yeah. Oh. Rudy Mara is amazing in that film. <laughs> I loved her. Um. Okay. My uh, are we on to my number three? Three then. Okay. So my number three is Pig, uh, which was number it was number two for so long, and I switched back and forth over and over again. Um, I loved a pig i was totally like gobsmacked by it was not ready for it at all um i uh saw we saw it at the rio um just on a whim just because I, I saw it was nicholas cage and i kind of know he does weird stuff now and i wanted to see it um but yeah michael sarnowski his like direction is incredible um it's very like very uh reserved and like thoughtful and considered um and it's like this this subversion of like the revenge uh genre and I just thought it was perfect. I was very emotional. Um, all the performances were were great. The the world, this like world of like Portland, like the the cooking scene in Portland, really great. The whole the first the first uh, twenty five minutes with the pig is obviously exceptional as well. The whole thing is great. I mean, I, I want to see it again, but yeah, great, yeah, great film, really really great. So I, I like it a lot. I think I think it could move up. It could it could move up uh, my list over the years because I'll I'll want to rewatch it again. Um, and I look forward to seeing what Michael Sarnowski does again. I know he's like made some documentaries, but now he's got some, he's got some things in the works. I think um, that I know yeah. he's ma he's directing the A the Quiet Place yeah. spinoff. Yeah, which oh, that's right. not. I mean, that's not the direction I wanted him to go in, but we'll see how it goes. Oh, I'm very excited. <laughs> I mean, I think he's a great director, but I, you know, I want more stories like this. Anyways, uh, number three for me is uh, Titan. Uh, so that to Corno. sorry. <laughs> her new film. Uh, I I haven't seen any of her other films actually, no. so I can't really comment on her uh, filmography. But uh, T10 was like just an affecting movie. Like the squirming in my seat during the the theater experience. It was just multiple moments where I was looking away. Um, it was like very very disturbing, which you know isn't always the isn't normally the case with new movies. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I thought it was really great. I think it was great the way um, a lot of these newer like body horror films are, are more about like um, technology and computers like integrating and articulating with the body. And this film was like purely mechanical. Um, and it was like kind of a throwback a bit to like the David Cronenberg kind of thing. Uh, like the Videodrome where like this, these like wires and cables and like the metal is just being integrated into the body. Um, and I think that's, it's kind of like Tetsuo a bit, the Iron Man. Um, and it's, yeah, very, really, really, really good. Loved mm-hmm. it. Can't wait to see more of her work. In regards to Titan, that is a film that I respect a lot more than I actually love. I do respect it. I, you know, I, I wish I would love it. I honestly do. Um, it just wasn't for me, I guess. It wasn't my cup of tea. That's one of the ones that I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival. It was actually a midnight screening mm. and it was wild. Like people yeah. were screaming and squirming. We were having cheers at our, we saw the yeah. Rio, obviously. Really? Yeah, 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 there yeah. were cheers. People there were, was clapping that, applause. That, there was a standing ovation at the end of the film oh, with the Rio. Yeah. Apparently yeah. someone puked in my screening. I, I didn't even notice. I feel like when, when all this stuff happens, when you can talk about some, a screening of a film and all this stuff comes up, like you did a good job. So. Yeah. At least that, like, like I said, it's, it's affecting. Like you, you have like a physical reaction to a movie and like a lot, like when you watch thousands of movies, it sort of, you sort of become numbed and it, it, it's like an awesome experience where it's like, wow, I'm actually being like, I have a physical <laughs> reaction to this movie. So I, it's not for everyone though. So that's, that's true. It's a disturbing know, movie. Be careful. So be careful. Yeah. Viewers beware. Yeah. <laughs> so we're on a number, you're number two. So my number two, I've talked about this film before. Uh, when we talked about it, seen it. we should have watched it. It, it yeah. It's amazing. But uh, this is one of the films that we talked about when we talked about VIF or VIF roundups. And it is still at the top of my list. It is number two. And it is the worst person in the world. Goddamn, I fucking adore this film. Uh, Jacques Trier did an amazing job directing this movie. Uh, the main performance by... Oh, I'm going to butcher your last name, but Renate Reinsve. I'm so sorry. Uh, but goddamn, you killed it. You you did an amazing job. This film was fucking incredible. Um, I don't know what else to say about this movie. It just felt very realistic, very raw, very unique, very original. Like, you know, there's nothing weird about this film. There's nothing, yeah, outlandish. It is just this movie about this woman trying to navigate her life, not knowing what decisions to take. And, you know, it is never evident. Like, for us, the viewers, we never know what decision she should have taken. Like, we never know, yes, this is clearly the right path. No, 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 no. It's, we're just as lost as she is. And it's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing to see her try to navigate her life. And apart from that, apart from the fact that it's very realistic, very raw, uh, the movie also has two fucking amazing, trippy, surrealist sequences, which... I loved it. Like, one of them is, like, super chaotic and super wild and insane. And the other one is very slow and just catharsis and happy. And it, it made my heart pound. And, yeah, it's just an amazing film. Nice. Nice. Well, we have to watch it still. We haven't done it. Um, I guess we'll go to my number two. Uh, Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson. This was, like, hugely anticipated by me. Uh, because, I mean, I, I read the description of the film before, like, Two years ago, it was like some sort of like high school, some high school coming of age thing um, with like Benny Safdie was going to play, was going to be in. It. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, and then obviously it's kind of different than what we'd expect, I guess, from Paul Thomas Anderson, especially. It seems like he's kind of given up the uh, he's, he's no longer um, kind of like trying to prove himself. He's just kind of making a film that is you just want to sit with and enjoy. And you don't have to it doesn't have to be some masterpiece, even though and it turns out being a masterpiece because of that. Um I, it's yeah it's just a world you want to live in you know cooper hoffman uh was like so charismatic um like no not, not like his dad but just like like a new like a new kind of charismatic yeah. Yeah. um 
and as Gary Valentine, um, Elena Ham Ham her her family yeah like they're I don't know if you guys know they're, they're, they're yeah. her sisters are a band yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that I mean I, I discovered their music through this yeah uh, she was she was like really 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 great um, and I you know I'm just I'm I'm kind of glad that he went because Paul Thomas Anderson is kind of like a movie star guy like a lot of his films like I think he's had Joaquin Phoenix or uh, or or uh, Daniel Day Lewis star in his films since all the way back to um, Punch Drunk Love. So, yeah. and even that was Adam Sandler. And then before that was Tom Cruise and, and Mark Wahlberg. So he hasn't like, well, Mark Wahlberg was new in Boogie Nights and he kind of goes back to this where he kind of picks these new people um, for, the, for the screen at least and kind of lets them shine. And they carry the movie uh, and their chemistry is incredible and, you know, lots of, lots of stuff to love in this film. I mean, it was very emotional and I think uh, it fits very well in his filmography. And I, I'm kind of looking forward to see where... Um, PTA goes now that he's no longer kind of like trying to prove himself like he used to be. Also, Bradley Cooper. Uh, is... I love that. You know, the, you know the trailer. Um, there's that scene where he's like knocking, like yeah. like cra- like breaking the windshield or the uh, the mirrors on the cars. It's not on the film. It's not on the film. I love that. That's yeah. great. Um, also, the needle drops in this movie are amazing. Like there's a there's a um, a Clarence Carter needle drop, uh, like a slip away. Yeah, that he amazing. stole that from us. We have that in one of our. We have that. We, we did it first, so <laughs> yeah, we wrote it first. It's not really fair, but whatever. Yeah. What can you do? Say with you. In, you want to say anything about Licorice Pizza, Will? No, you go ahead, Juan. Okay, so Licorice Pizza. Uh, this is a film that I honestly thought I was going to hate. I I don't know why. I You had that feeling? I had a feeling that I was going to hate this movie because Paul Thomas Anderson films for me are either I absolutely love them, like, you know, The Master and, and There Will Be Blood, or I just can't stand them, like, uh, sadly enough, Punch Drunk Love. And What do you think about Inherent Vice? I haven't seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I know that. that's the one that like even Paul Thomas Anderson fans hate, but oh, yeah. I don't know. I I love, I it. It's it. very man. It's like a this like Thomas Pynchon noir where you just can't follow a single thing that's going on. It's, yeah, and it's, it's like it's inter- but the first, frustrating. There's a needle awesome. drop in the beginning of that film that's like probably the best needle drop ever. But, hey. Anyways, but anyways, in regards to Licorice Pizza, once again, I thought I was gonna hate it, and throughout when I was watching the film, I kept thinking to myself, "Why the fuck am I loving this? Like, what is going on?" Because like the film kept doing absolutely everything that i usually hate from movies but for some fucking reason i was into it <laughs> for some reason it was working and the whole film i was like juan why are you into this film i don't get it like you know it is very meandering you know there is not a precise plot it, it's it's very unfocused like it th- yeah there's not a plot there's not an angle i usually like my films to be very focused to be very narrative driven and this film is just the complete opposite this film also has so many storylines that they introduce and go nowhere. Like, you know, the guy with the 12 in the shirt, yeah. that went nowhere. Bradley Cooper, that went nowhere. Like, he <laughs> appears in the film, and then they do an amazing setup of all of this horrible the thing. Barbara Streisand thing? No, 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 yeah. And, and, and like, they, they do the setup of all of shitty things that yeah. Alana Himes and, and oh, Cooper yeah. Hubman do yeah. to him. Like, he's going to come back for them, yeah. and it just doesn't happen. And yeah. the whole film, I, I was that. like, I can't wait for him to be back and just fuck them up. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I kept that. thinking, like, yeah, there's that scene in the trailer, so I'm sure he's going to come up and just absolutely destroy them. But he never comes back. And so, once again, things like that, I usually hate in films, but it fucking worked. I... The characters were amazing, so well developed. The music is incredible. Life on Mars by David Bowie. When oh, I started perfect. Sat playing, it was ah, beautiful. Yeah. And the ending, goddamn! Like I won't spoil it, just in case you guys haven't seen it. But it it packed the punch. It, yeah. Well, just no one writes characters like Paul Thomas Anderson. Like you won't see characters like these anymore. Um, they're like they're all a bunch of assholes, but you still <laughs> care about them a lot. And 
they're all lonely. They're yeah, all they're very all lonely. lonely yeah. And I, it's very touching. It's very, very touching, especially because these people are so like the age gap thing is kind of weird. Yeah. It doesn't bother me that much in the context of this film. Um, yeah. I love the film. What's your number two, Will? Oh, my number two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number two, pull it up. Oh, Red Rocket. So okay. uh, yeah, well, Liam, we're talking about that for Liam's number one. Okay, so should I go for my number one then? Yeah, yeah. go for it. Okay, my number one, um, I must preface this by saying that I know this is subjective. Like, this is not me objectively speaking. I recognize, you know, there number two and number three are probably better than this one. But subjectively speaking, this is the movie of 2021 that means the most to me. And it has to be Denis Villeneuve's Dune. I fucking adore Denis Villeneuve. I fucking adore Dune. I'm a big fan of those books. And I thought this film did a perfect job adapting the first half of the first novel. Um, when I was reading the book, there were many times when I kept thinking to myself, how the fuck are they going to pull this off? How are they going to do this? Like so much stuff in the book is just, you know, mental and characters thinking to themselves. And, you know, they feel stuff on the inside, but they don't let anyone see. And then in the book, they introduce concepts like the voice and the Ben and Jesserit using all of these weird abilities. And I kept thinking, how the fuck are they going to do it? And I think Denis Villeneuve and his team, they, they nailed it. They fucking nailed it. I, I loved him. I think it's amazing. It's, yeah, it, it may not be, objectively speaking, the best film of the year, but it is the one that means the most to me. And I'm sure that years in the future, hopefully, if part two delivers, I know I'm going to look back on this film the way I look back now on, like, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and, like, you know, the big epics that I fucking adore. Um... I don't know. For me, like we saw it with with you yes. with you at uh, in IMAX. And you hadn't seen it, right? You, you already <laughs> that was my second time. Your second yeah. time, yeah. Um, I don't know. I like it was the image was so big and it was so much sand and it was, I don't know. It was I found it hard to really get into it. And I I mean I like I had seen David Lynch's Dune, so I was kind of prepared for the weird stuff. Um, but I just thought it was kind of shallow, and the way it ended, like it was it was kind of like the second Matrix. It's like so I have to just wait like gears for the for this like story to even to really even mean anything yeah um so that was a little disappointing and i i was a big fan of uh blade runner 2049 and so same i think my expectations were a little high although the all the fans going crazy for it kind of kept me in check because i'm a bit of a contrarian um <laughs> and yeah. Simmer's score god damn <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> yeah i fucking love it wasn't one of, wasn't his best i i like, love it yeah, I mean, I echo, echo Liam. I, I thought it was a good, it was a fun theater experience and uh, thankful that we got to go see it with Juan in in IMAX. Hell yeah. I mean, if you're going to see it, you got to see it in IMAX. So. I, personally, like, I would say this for 99.9999% of movies, this one, it's too much sand. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know Liam's opinion. I, I still think, like, it's 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 built for the IMAX screen, so. Also, the, um, the, way, they sh- the way they do these, like, backdrops and they try and film on location a lot, it, for some reason, it felt very flat, and it felt very—I don't know why it, that it felt very flat, but it felt very, very flat. It might be the, just the monocolor of the sand, but it—it it feels like it's like because of the way they're shooting it, it almost looks like it's, they're shooting on a soundstage, and there's everything, all this like the background is composite, which a lot of times it is. But um, I don't know. I, the image, like the look of the film, I was pretty disappointed with, but that's probably just. So you're, you're telling know. me a movie called Dune has too much sand? Yeah. <laughs> the sand politics, the sand sand ethics, the sand, too much sand. I will say, yes, it, it you know, it looks hostile. It looks unhospitable. It looks very but dull. But it's not even like in a good land. 
Yeah, it's bland. It's like it's kind of like if you ever played Battlefront Two, Star Wars Battlefront Two on PlayStation. It's like the Tatooine map, and it's like it just. I don't know what like, the like. It's oh, a fun it's game, but you don't want to look at it. Anyways, I fucking love it. I love the cinematography. Just for the record, I love them. So we're pushing time, but my number one is a uh, Red Rocket, Sean Baker. We talked about this in VIF, uh, in our VIF episode. Um, I to me, this was like the second the film starts with this slow zoom out of a like this plush chair on a on a bus. Uh, out to Simon Rex, who gives like a performance of the year. Yes. Um, that whole scene, he's walking, he's like doing this re- really weird walk up to the house of um, what's her name? Let me see. He's doing. He's walking up to the house of a uh, Brie Elrod. Um, Lex, his character's name is Lexi, and um, it just that was an incredible scene, and I was kind of just entranced the entire way through. It was hilarious. I mean, I was laughing the entire time. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't. I haven't. I haven't watched it again. I really, really, really want to see it again because. Well, just to see if it holds up, but I think it will. Um, and I'm just excited that, like, this... I feel like it was this Robert Altman, young PTA, kind of, like, with this, like, new American story. I, I think it's, like, just right up my alley, so I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, nothing to add. It was great. I loved it. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> we all agree Red Rocket's good. Yeah. yeah. Check out Red Rocket. So, uh, and then, finally, for me, number one was uh, Mainstream. So that was Liam's number 10 film. Mm-hmm. Uh I, it's it's a 21st century network. Have you seen Network? Uh, I have seen Network. network. I love so Network. It's like, it's, oh, yeah. That's what, how I describe it. It's a 21st century network. Really? Andrew Garfield. It's like I mean, the vlog. We didn't see Tick Tick Boom, but like I'm, he's got Oscar buzz for that. But oh, like, it's I amazing. think um, mainstream was like an amazing performance from him. Yeah. Uh, it had this weird like uh, there's this controversy that he was out like he was on like Hollywood Boulevard running around naked, and uh, there was like this news story in like the Hollywood Reporter. And they didn't know what was going on. They thought Andrew Garfield had just gone crazy. But you actually seen the film. That this is a scene in the film that they uh, shot. Very like um, guerrilla style. Very guerrilla style. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's it's something that like uh, twenty years from now it's it is of its times and it's uh, you know I think it's like an important film and it's like really hard to capture this like internet culture without like instantly being outdated when you write it or seeming like uh, not very authentic because often people writing about this aren't like entrenched into this internet culture so they don't really quite understand it and it's it's does anyone really quite understand internet culture it's like so ethereal and like your interpersonal subjective interpretation of the internet might be seem like cringe or like off base compared to someone else's but for me it it really worked and like i i loved it so yeah andrew garfield's performance is amazing he's like this weird youtube vlogger um and the final the final scene just 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 so so funny it was so funny it was it's amazing it's yeah. so good. So, add Somebody mainstream to your watch list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Juan's typing it out now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a feeling, Juan, you might you might actually hate it. I maybe. Well, I I'll hate give it, it a try. It's, yeah. it actually, there are points where it's bad, and like that's yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, and that's for me like that's okay. Like it, this this is this is just like because a, like there's this entire storyline with um. It's okay for it to be bad. Yeah, yeah, I, think yeah, yeah. I think there's moments where it's okay that. Basically, it's the entire storyline with Maya Hawk, who's like she's a good actress, but you know she's not that engaging in this film and and this sounds weird to say because she's like the main character in the film basically most of the stuff with her is useless um <laughs> and it's like somehow the film still like is incredible um yeah like just definitely check it out give it a chance gia coppola who's, if, if anything it's, it's worth it for the final scene with yeah. uh yeah it's worth it to see andrew garfield kind of go off his rocker and like just have a lot of fun with the role that 
he was obviously he was not scared to just go all in on. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it, so I wouldn't know what to say. But yeah, Andrew Garfield is becoming one of our favorite actors for sure. He, yeah. he already is actually. So yeah. Um, Should we go on through our top ten real quick? Yeah, let's just run through our top ten really quick. Go okay, ahead, so start. my top ten: number ten, Don't Look Up; number nine, Coda; number eight, Licorice Pizza; number seven, The Last Duel; number six, Mass; number five, Zack Snyder's Justice League; number four, Spencer; number three, Nightmare Alley; number two, The Worst Person in the World; and number one, Dune. Okay, so I my number ten is mainstream. Number nine, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth. Number eight, the card counter. Number seven, come on, come on. Uh, six, petite mama. Uh, five, the Matrix Resurrections. Four, Titan. Three, Pig. Two, Licorice Pizza, and one, Red Rocket. And finally, my top ten: ten, the card counter. Nine, the tragedy of Macbeth. Eight, petite mama. Seven, the beta test. Six, the Matrix Resurrections. Five, Pig. Four, Licorice Pizza. Three, Titan. Two Red Rocket and one Mainstream. Um, so I guess we're gonna wrap it up now. But this was a, a very good year for movies. I think kind of yeah. reco- a recovery from last from the year prior. I think, um, which is pretty good. But this one's this year was better. Um, and I guess we'll probably do an episode kind of looking forward to the next year. Um, but yes. for now, uh, we're gonna sign off and uh, thank you all for listening and stay tuned for our announcements and our giveaways and all these things that stay we're tuned on. to the ubc film Sox socials and uh yeah we'll see you in uh two weeks bye everyone bye, bye.